Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. Revelation 11. And it took a while to get this far, but we are now at the seventh trumpet. How about that? And you know there are seven trumpets, so it's the last one, you might say. Um, and it's interesting. You're going to, I hope you learned something you, you didn't know tonight, uh, because um, this is the end, you'll see it, but at the same time, it's not the end, because we have 11 more chapters to go. We'll, we'll, we'll look at that. But we've, um, look at what we've covered. We can kind of recap using sevens. Um, we started out in Revelation 1. Here is John on the island of Patmos uh, because of, you know, his belief in Christ. And then he has this vision, right, of the resurrected, glorified Christ who is walking among the candle stands with seven stars in his hand and seven candlesticks. And we know that those candlesticks are the seven churches. And so he speaks to seven specific uh, churches there in Revelation 2 and 3. Then he's caught up into heaven and he sees, you know, God being worshipped as creator in chapter 4. And then there is the, the lamb, the only one worthy to open the scroll is the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And he's being worshipped in chapter 5 as our Redeemer because he paid the price of our redemption with his blood. And then the seals of this scroll are open one at a time. How many of them are there? There's seven scrolls. And then when you get done, I mean seven seals, excuse me. There's seven seals on the scroll. And once you get through those seven seals, then you have the seven trumpets. And so here we are, chapter 11, the seventh trumpet. Okay, so that's where we're at. Um, these verses in Revelation, specifically the seventh trumpet, verses 15 through 19, are some of the most dramatic verses in the Bible. Uh, they're powerful. They're so powerful that when I read this, I go back to my music days. Um, I knew about this song before I went to college and took music appreciation, but I appreciate it even more now. Handel's Messiah. Hallelujah, 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 yeah. Hallelujah. Okay, yeah, you get the idea. It goes on and on and on. It builds and builds and builds. And when you read this passage, you appreciate that song because you're like, yes, sir, hallelujah. And uh, Handel's um, word on Messiah, I, you know, I was going to share. Yeah, I did. I, I, I do have it here. I forgot. But uh, his, um, his chorus is what really draws me to this passage of Scripture, and I couldn't help but just mention that. I had to restrain myself because I thought, man, I could show you that whole thing, and boy, we'd be all singing, but, you know, I thought I'd hold back a little bit. But uh, I want to tell you a little bit about Handel's Messiah before we dive into this. Hope you appreciate it. But the first performance of Handel's Messiah took place in Dublin, Ireland in 1742. That's how old that song is. Think about that for a minute, 1742. And the performance was a great success, but when he performed it in London the following year, it was a failure. Imagine that. The audience thought it was sacrilegious to have Scripture sung in a theater by music hall singers. Hmm. Seven years went by, 
and Handel was struck by a groundbreaking idea. He proposed holding a benefit performance for a hospital in London, and they were the world's first ever incorporated charity. It was the founding hospital set up by Captain Thomas uh, Coram, and the hospital took in abandoned children and they cared for them, and the, ch and the charity was celebrated by members of the High Society in London, and so that's where they decided to do the Handel's Messiah as a fundraiser uh, at this banquet for this children's hospital, and it was a huge success, uh, and it's been performed, I think, every year until he died in 1759, and the tradition has been kept alive since then. Um, they do it annually, and it's been going for 270-something years. So, hallelujah. But anyway, thought that was really cool. So, uh, to set this up, I got a Herschel Hobbes quote for you. Herschel Hobbes says, In the series of the opening of the seven seals, the climax came after the opening of the sixth seal, for the seventh herald the blowing of seven trumpets. And following the sixth seal, a scene presented the final triumph of Christ. It's in Revelation 6. And in the case of the seven trumpets, the climax comes following the sounding of the seventh trumpet, for thereafter the subject matter changes. Uh, that's going forward in the book of Revelation. So in reality, that which followed the seventh trumpet is the climax of the book itself. Some would make Revelation into two books, chapters 1 through 11 and chapters 12 through 22. Didn't know if you knew that, but some people do. However, the book most likely is a unit, but with different emphasis in the two sections, and at the same time, the two together tell a complete story. And I just wanted you to be aware of that. Um, I believe Revelation's a whole unit because, well, we got 22 chapters of it. Uh, but um, that's how final it is here at the seventh trumpet. Just wanted to prepare you for that. So let's look at what happens here. Look in verse 15. The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Sounds pretty final to me. Well, I thought that was interesting. Uh, a contrast. And you go, what do you, what do you mean? Well, at the seventh trumpet, there's loud voices in heaven. Uh, that reminds me of the seventh seal. If you go back a few chapters to Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, when the angel opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. What a contrast, right? Seventh seal, silence in heaven for about half an hour. Seventh trumpet, loud voices. Just thought I would point out that distinction, that contrast. One commentator says these unnamed voices probably are the multitude of angels around God's throne. They proclaim that God's great plan for creation and redemption has at last reached its full realization. They express this in a two-line poem. And in the English-speaking world, we cannot think about this apart from, i got to throw it up again, Handel's Great Messiah. I, I tell you what, if you haven't heard that tune in a while, do me a favor when you leave tonight, go look up Handel's Messiah and just listen to it. You'll be glad you did. But uh, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. 
So the first thing you see that happens when the seventh angel blows the seventh trumpet is loud voices in heaven. And what do they say? That this kingdom of the world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign how long? Forever and ever. Man, that's good. The second thing I want you to notice uh, when this happens, the seventh trumpet is blown, is 24 elders uh, fall down and worship. Now, this should not surprise you because we, we are introduced to the 24 elders way earlier in the book of Revelation. Uh, once they're introduced, they never go anywhere. The 24 elders, uh, they're gathered around the throne. You know, the, there's the four living creatures, then there's the 24 elders around the four living creatures that are centered or gathered around the throne. And so look at what happens. The 24 elders who were seated before God on their thrones fell down and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, Lord God, the Almighty, who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, but your wrath has come. The time has come for the dead to be judged and to give the reward to your servants, the prophets, to the saints, and to those who fear your name, both small and great. And the time has come to destroy those who destroy the earth. Did you catch something there? Up until this point, there's been a few times in Revelation where when they're talking to God and they're praising God, they will say to the one who is, who was, and who is to come. Look here again with that in mind. He says in verse 17, We give you thanks, Lord God, the Almighty, who is and who was. It didn't say to come. You know why? He's there. He's come. And how do I know that? Because it says, because you have taken your great power and you have begun to reign. In other words, it's happening right now. And then in verse 18, the nations were angry, but your wrath has what? Come. Okay, your wrath has come. The time has what? Come. You see it? The time has come for the dead to be judged and to give the reward to your servants, the prophets, to the saints, and those who fear your name. And then there at the end of verse 18, and the time has come to destroy those who destroy the earth. Come, come, come. Three times. Don't you love how clear God is? I mean, He's just really putting it out there. Okay? So the seventh trumpet is the end. And there's your proof. Because up until this point, to the one who is and was and is to come, it doesn't say is to come. Why? Because He has come. At the seventh trumpet, which is the last trumpet, and if you read the rest of the New Testament, at the last what? Trumpet. There He is. Okay? So... This is it. This is pretty awesome when you think about it. Uh, the clues are all screaming at us here. But um, they fall down and they worship the Lord. And this is not the first time the 24 elders have gotten off their thrones, fell down, and worshiped God. It happens in, I think, Revelation 4 or 5 or perhaps both of those chapters. Um, here's what a commentator says. He says, We've previously heard this 24-voice choir honoring God for His act of creation. That was Revelation 4. And they also honored the Lamb for His great act of redemption. And that's Revelation 5. 
Now they solemnly offer praise for the great act of final judgment that God and the Lamb were about to complete. And this is by far the longest of the three utterances of these 24 elders because it introduces themes that the rest of Revelation will unfold. And, and I really do agree with that. Uh, as we go through the rest of Revelation, I feel like we've gotten the broad spectrum. It, it, it's like the first half of Revelation kind of lays out the broad context of where all this is going. And then Revelation 12 to the end of Revelation zooms in to that last part so that you really can take it all in, okay? I'd almost compare it to the way the Gospels are. The Gospels start out with the, the life of Christ, right? And then as you get closer toward the end of the Gospels, it really zooms in on that last week that He lived on earth, okay? All the events that unfolded that led up to His... Uh, uh, arrest and crucifixion and you know burial and resurrection and so I feel like that's kind of happening here as well um, let me let me show you because I think it's beneficial uh, revelation 411 I just want to read what um, these 24 elders said previously in the book but in revelation 411 here's what they said when they were worshiping God as creator. Um, it says here that the uh, 24 elders, they fell down and they worshiped the one who lives forever. They cast their crowns before his throne. And they said in Revelation 4.11, Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you've created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Boy, that's a mouthful, isn't it? And then in Revelation 5, 9 and 10, uh, we find out that, again, uh, the 24 elders fall down before the Lamb and they sing a new song in Revelation 5-9. You were worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you, were per and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. So they're saying a lot, and then I won't read it again, but then when you get to our text, Revelation 11, and you read verses 17 and 18, uh, they say even more about basically he's come, and he's begun to reign, and he's going to judge, and he's going to reward, and the time has come to destroy those who destroy the earth. So it's pretty powerful when you think about it. Um, verse... Um, 18, verse 18, notice uh, Revelation 11, verse 18, it says, The nations were angry, but your wrath has come, and the time has come for the dead to be judged. Um, very valuable when you think about that. It's introducing the final judgment, okay? The final judgment that you'll see at the end of the book, it's introduced right here at the seventh trumpet. We get much more details when we get to the end of the book, because like I said, here, it's laying out the breadth of everything, and the last half of Revelation is zooming in on the very end, okay? And so it's pretty neat when you think about it. It says there will be a final judgment. The saints will receive their reward, and the wicked will be judged, and um, those who destroy uh, will, uh, the earth, they'll be destroyed. So it gets your attention for sure. 
uh, also notice what happens here at the seventh trumpet. We've talked about the loud voices in heaven and what they said, that He's come and He's going to reign forever and ever. And now we've seen the 24 elders and they fall down and we've looked at what they said there in verse 17 and 18. And now it gets even better. The third thing that happens is the temple of God in heaven is open. Look, if you will, in verse 19. Then the temple of God in heaven was opened, and the ark of His covenant appeared in His temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder, an earthquake and severe hail. Well, you know, when God controls the weather, He can do all kinds of fireworks, can't He, to get our attention. Um, this shouldn't surprise you that there's a temple of God in heaven. You know, when you read your Old Testament, you will learn that the blueprints that God gave Moses on the mountain, this always amazed me. You know, we always talk about when, when God appeared to Moses and then he went up on the mountain and spent, you know, 40 days and 40 nights, you know, with God and God gave him the Ten Commandments. Yes, and, okay? Notice what I said, yes, and. God gave him two things. We only talk about one. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, absolutely. But you know what else he gave him? He gave him a blueprint of the tabernacle, which later would become the temple. The only difference between the tabernacle and the temple, the tabernacle was portable, okay, when they were wandering, and the temple was permanent when Solomon finally built the first one. But the blueprint was the same. Where do you think that blueprint came from? Heaven. When you read the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, you will see that it basically says that that, that that temple on earth was based on the temple in heaven. And here is the temple of God in heaven, and it's open. And not only is it open, but the Ark of the Covenant is there. You're not supposed to see that if you're on earth. You know, when you're on earth, it, you and I wouldn't get in anyway. We're Gentiles, but... But, you know, if you study the, the layout of the temple in the Old Testament, Gentiles aren't getting near it. But if you're, if you're a, a Jewish man, you can get further than anybody into it. But nobody can get uh, as far as the high priest. The high priest was able to go all the way to the Holy of Holies, but only once a year, right? The Day of Atonement. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest, not just any priest, the high priest, could go into the Holy of Holies and he had to have a, a blood sacrifice for his sins and the sins of the people. And he would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat there by the Ark of the Covenant. Now, you know and I know that Christ came and he did away with all that because he's the perfect sacrifice. And once the perfect sacrifice is given, there's no need to repeat it. And that's why the book of Hebrews says that, that you know, the, the blood of goats and bulls and, and, and lambs and stuff like that could not take away sin. You know, it was a picture of what was to come, but it could not take away sin because they had to keep doing it year after year, over and over. But when Christ came, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, when Christ came and laid down His life and shed His blood, now he sat down at the right hand of the Father and there's no more need for sacrifices because he has purchased our uh, redemption for all of eternity by his own blood. 
And we know that when Christ was on the cross, what happened in the temple? You remember the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of it? What? Tore in two. And how did it tear? From top to bottom. Oh, isn't that good? Woo! Boy, that, that gets me all excited right there. God's the one that tore it from top to bottom. And now you get to heaven, and there is the temple, and it's open, and there's the Ark of the Covenant. Wow! You know? I mean... This is really giving you a visual that has so much meaning and significance. So you have loud voices in heaven after being quiet, I suppose, after the, the seventh seal, the seventh, seventh trumpet. It's loud. The 24 elders fall down and worship again. But what do they say? The one who is and who was. And they don't say who is to come because he showed up. There he is. He's here. He's starting to rain, folks. Here we go. It's kind of like counting down to zero blast off. It's over. Okay, it's done. And then here's the temple of God in heaven and it's open. And all these things happen. All the bells and whistles, the flashes of lightning, the rumblings, the peals of thunder, and earthquake and severe hail. Wow. God has showed up. In this picture, according to William Hendrickson, in this picture, the sanctuary of God in heaven is now wide open. Nothing remains veiled. Okay, there's not, nothing else. No, nothing's hidden now. Everything is uh, opened up. Nothing remains hidden or concealed. The Ark of the Covenant, so long hidden from view, is now openly and plainly seen. Pretty awesome. Reminds me of what I was mentioning a while ago about Hebrews. In Hebrews 9, 11 and 12, it says, But Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come in the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. He entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, having obtained eternal redemption what kind of redemption eternal okay he did it once it lasts forever isn't that good man that is good uh alan johnson said as the ark of the covenant was the sign to israel of god's loyal love throughout their wilderness journeys and battles so this sign of the new covenant will assure the followers of christ of his loyal love through their severe trial and attack by the beast which by the way it's coming as you read the next few chapters. So what a source of encouragement it is. Again, I go back to Hebrews 9, 24. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the true one, but into heaven itself, so that He might now appear in the presence of God for us. He did not do this to offer Himself many times as the high priest enters the sanctuary yearly with the blood of another. Otherwise, he would have had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. But now he has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. And watch this. And just as it is appointed for people to die once, and after this the judgment, so also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. And that's what happens here. When He shows up, um, the, the dead are judged, and those that know the Lord are given their reward, and He begins to rule, and He begins to reign. But I'm getting ahead of myself. But that's, that's good stuff. Um, one last uh, comment, and then we'll put some handles on this. K. 
Kendall Easley uh, in the Holman Commentary says, picture this. It's as if a curtain at the back of a, of a stage in a theater is open to reveal what had gone before unnoticed. Nothing could be more awesome for a mortal than to be given such a glimpse. And this is the only place in Revelation that the Ark of the Covenant appears. Now think about that. 22 chapters, this is the only place in Revelation where the Ark of the Covenant appears is right here in Revelation eleven nineteen at the seventh trumpet, okay? Um, it says, The curtain is closed quickly, and the full orchestra resounds from the pit in front of the stage. No wonder there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. The judgment sequence is beginning. Judgment proceeds from the place that best displayed the heavenly representation of God's establishing relationship with humanity. God could judge mankind solely because He's creator. His judgment proceeds because He's done everything to establish a covenant of redemption with humanity. And I thought, you know, that's very interesting. We're right now smack dab in the middle of the book, right? At the very end of chapter 11 of 22 chapters. And we're told, hey, he's, he's, he's coming. He's going to judge. He's going to reward. He's going to rule and reign. He's going to do all these things. We're fixing to zoom in here in a little bit and see more details of what it's going to be like, rapid fire leading up to the very end. And yet here we have this focal point. And it's a reminder that the one who created us, the one who loves us, has done everything to provide redemption for humanity. The Ark of the Covenant, He's a covenant-keeping God. He loves us. He allows us to choose Him or reject Him. Uh, he sent His Son who died on that cross for us that, that tore the, the dividing wall of hostility. He took down that curtain so that we now have access to God and we have... Uh, it, the eternal redemption by His blood is available to anyone who's willing to come to Him. And we're reminded of that before it all goes down. It's almost just like a glimpse of the kind of God we really have. You know it? I mean, think about it. The Ark of the Covenant. It really makes you go, before you get all caught up in the dramatic uh, scene of it all, before you ponder... You know, does this person know Christ and what will happen to him? Before you get into all the, the, the emotions of it, you have one last glimpse that takes your breath away. That the heart of God was, I love you, I created you, I made you, I sent my son, I did everything I could. I think it's pretty amazing he puts that on display front and center. As Dennis Johnson says, the sounding of the last trumpet elicits praise in heaven that the time has arrived for the outpouring of God's wrath against His enemies, the judgment of the dead, and the rewarding of God's faithful servants. And that's where I want to give you some handles here. When you look at this seventh trumpet, once we get past the loud voices, the 24 elders, and the temple of God with the Ark of the Covenant just wide open there, when you back up and go... Wow, what does all this mean? Well, those are the images. Those are the objects there that, you know, jump out at us, that get our attention. 
But notice again what happens. The big picture of the seventh trumpet is three things, and I'll make it very simple. Number one, Christ returns. Again, to the one who is and was, doesn't say to come. Why? Because he's here. Matter of fact, to let you know he's come, it says one, two, three times in verse 18. Your wrath has come. The time has come for the dead to be judged. And that at the end of 18, the time has come to destroy those who destroy the earth. Three times he says, the time has come. He's here. It's over. It's done. Here he is. Okay? So Christ returns. And that's pretty awesome. The second thing I want you to get is what happens when he comes. Notice it says there in verse 18, the time has come for the dead to be judged and to give the reward to your servants, the prophets, to the saints, and to those who fear your name. So when Christ comes back, He's going to judge the wicked and He's going to reward the righteous. That's my just way of bringing it down to the very bottom shelf there. When Christ comes back, He's going to judge the wicked and reward the righteous. Okay? I love what it says later on in Revelation that His reward is with Him. Okay? So He is going to judge the wicked and He is going to reward the righteous. Um, that's good stuff. And then the third thing, the last thing, it says here is that He will reign forever and ever. You go back up there to verse 15. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign how long? Forever and ever. Handle, crank the music. All right? It's good, isn't it? Man, it is good. And so that's, you know, when someone asks me, you know, Corey, what do you think about the return of Christ? Well, let's get past predicting things because let's be honest, nobody knows, right? Isn't that what Jesus said? Nobody knows. Uh, only the Father knows. But whenever Christ comes back, this is what I believe is going to happen. He's going he's to show up. He's going to judge the wicked. He's going to reward the righteous. And He's going to rule and reign forever. Pretty simple, okay? And then as we get into the rest of the book, we kind of zoom in to look at the final details of everything of how it all goes down, okay? We're, we're introducing it now. We've kind of got the full spectrum here. We went through seven... Uh, the letters to seven churches, we've gone through the seven seals, we've gone through the seven trumpets, now we're going to have like an interlude for a little bit, and then we'll have seven bowls, and that'll be interesting when we get to that point, but I won't get ahead of myself. So, I will wind this up tonight by saying, the challenge I believe tonight is this, are you ready for the Lord's return? Okay, are you ready for his return? Um, I tell you what, these days, maybe it's because I'm getting older, I'm not sure, but these days, and you see the same things that I do when you turn on the news and just look around at what's going on in the world, I think more and more about the return of Christ now than I did two years ago, okay, ten years ago, even a year ago if you want to know the truth. So many things have happened. I mean, you think about the, the COVID thing started, what, March 15th, somewhere in there? 
we're, we're almost coming up on a year. And uh, who would have thought that, you know, who would have thought it would have went the way it did? Uh, I don't know about you, but the more I think about it, I can't wait for Christ to come back. I, I can't wait to see Him and be with Him, and I can't wait to see Him rule and reign forever. I think sometimes this seventh trump, trumpet surprises people because we're, we, we in the West, and we live on the Western side of the globe, we think linearly. You know, we, we think in a straight line, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. We, we think linearly. We think in a straight line. And when you look at John, I don't think he writes in a straight line. I, I, the only way I can describe it is almost like a, a pendulum. He swings back and forth and also kind of like a spiral. He comes around, and the next time he comes around, he goes a little bit deeper. You know, and then the next time he comes around, he goes a little bit deeper. Okay, um, he kind of does that in the Gospel of John. He he has the uh, seven I am statements of Christ. He has the seven uh, miracles, and each time we get a greater understanding of just who Christ really is. I think the seventh one is when he uh, raises Lazarus from the dead. That he is so powerful that yes, not only can he turn the water into wine. Not only can he feed the multitude, but and not only can he heal the eyes of the blind, but he can raise the dead, okay? So uh, he just kind of goes deeper and deeper and deeper. You read First John, it's five chapters long, and he takes simple concepts, light, darkness, love, hate. Um, there's a few more uh, I can't think of right now. And uh, it just seems like he, he just plays with those things. He comes back to them. And he goes a little bit deeper, and he goes a little bit deeper. And here in Revelation, wow, each time we get a, a series of seven, it's like we're getting a little bit more of it, and it's going a little bit deeper. Well, it's, uh, it's been good tonight, y'all. We're, we're going to stop here. We'll pick up in chapter 12 next week. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.